So this Sunday, we hit the halfway point in our sermon series called The Art of Being Human, taking a look at biblical anthropology and asking, what does the Bible actually say about what it means for us to be human? So we as pastors got together last week uh, to do a little midterm report card of how we're doing in this sermon series, and we all agreed that it has been a pretty high-level sermon series, and we've heard that from some of you to the point where we admitted frustrations at times that certain passages are so long and certain themes are so thick that they probably deserve a sermon series of their own, not just a sermon in a series. And Pastor Simon said, while we're halfway, do we even know the answer to our own question? What does the Bible say about being human? And to answer that, we went back to John Mark Comer's book, Garden City, which I know some of you are reading to answer that question. And he says that the Bible talks about humanity in terms of three categories. Work, rest, and our role in the kingdom of God and the heavenly hope that comes from that. So we've spent the first four weeks, the first half of this sermon series, talking about work. About the, the call to partner in God's creation. The call to rule over creation as, as kings and queens or regents, as we talked about. The ways in which we were created to work for the glory of God and the ways in which we can be so easily tempted to build our own temples rather than God's kingdom, our own towers rather than God's kingdom. So, if you felt like it was a little high level, a little hard to get your head around at times, we're going to get practical in the second half here in, in different ways. It's time for us to turn the corner to rest this morning. We've talked about work. We're going to spend this Sunday talking about rest, and then we'll move on to our role in the kingdom of God. We have a word for rest that God calls us to. It's the Hebrew word Shabbat, or in English, Sabbath. And on this, our traditional Sabbath day, we're going to dive into this theme of Sabbath keeping. But first, let's pray as we do so. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I think it's sort of symbolic in a way that we've spent a month on work and we're only going to spend one Sunday on rest uh, because that's so often how we live our lives, right? Sabbath rest is a difficult Thing for us. And it's difficult for a couple of reasons. First, I think it's difficult because it's perhaps the most countercultural idea that we can really think of if we, if we actually think about it. And in our post-Christian mainstream culture, it seems sort of borderline ridiculous in a way. And the second reason is that we don't really take it that seriously. I mean, of the Ten Commandments, Sabbath keeping is the only one that I read where I hear people regularly bragging about breaking it. I've got so much work today. Can't afford to rest. We're running crazy this Sunday. But I want to be clear. Sabbath keeping isn't merely a suggestion in Scripture. It's spelled out in incredible detail with fierce parameters. In other words, we can't reduce away this idea of Sabbath keeping to, to some sort of metaphor or some sort of nice idea. We can't avoid it. God commanded this of us, and he was actually the first one to practice it. He's asking us to follow his lead. So let's start unpacking Sabbath. 
The theme of Shabbat, or Sabbath, is formed first by God himself in Genesis 1 and 2. In the grand creation story, it says that God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So the Jewish law calls us to follow the example of God's rest in those Ten Commandments. In fact, it's the only real kind of spiritual discipline that we see in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. You will work or you will labor for six and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, all that's in them rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this idea of keeping the Sabbath was instituted by God to nourish us, to nourish our our bodies, our minds, our souls, of both the the head of the household, the master, the family, the slaves, the livestock, the, the visitor, the foreigner. Sabbath keeping is part of a rhythm of life that's intended to refresh and renew all of creation so that all of creation will continue to be mindful of their creator. Listen to this. This is a, a, another treatment of, of Shabbat in the scriptures. The book of Isaiah records a dialogue of sorts between Yahweh, the one true God, and his people who are Israel. And in this dialogue, God lays out how his people can truly follow him. And his concluding thoughts center around Sabbath keeping. Listen to this. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And he will make you ride upon the heights of the earth and feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob. We learn here that Sabbath is a day that is supposed to be set apart, supposed to be honored. God has so much to give us, so we need to set aside a designated time to just receive that from him. As theologian Christopher Seitz says, not to be preoccupied with one's own things is the height of worship and gives access to the material joy that God wants to give. In short, Sabbath is integral to God's creation. And as he seeks to create again and again in our hearts and our lives, this is part of that rhythm. We say that God created the earth in, in seven days. Now, I know that there's a, a lot of debate about, is this a literal or figurative seven days? How are we supposed to understand this? I'm not going to try and answer all those questions today. I'd love to get together uh, over coffee and wrestle through that with you. But one thing we know for sure is that the Sabbath was part of, that, part of those days, however we understand them. And it was the end of it. We don't say that God created the earth in six days and then he rested. But rather, that rest is part of creation. It's an integral part in the seven-day creation process. In fact, I've had to change the way that I talk about this, sort of a key theological stance as I've been preparing for this sermon for a couple weeks. I've always said that you, daughters and and sons of God, are, are, are the crown jewel of creation, men and women, And and in many ways, that is true. But actually, what's the crown jewel of the seven-day creation process? It's Sabbath. That's the crown jewel of creation. 
rest is the end of creation. It's, it's rest. It's enjoying all that God has already done. It's almost too much for our brains to consider that work and rest should work together. God instituted a Sabbath rest for his people so that they could rest from their labors and be mindful of him. The, the, the Hebrew word for, for Shabbat, for Sabbath, actually means to cease. That's what it really means, to cease. And the Judeo-Christian tradition has held up the importance of a day to cease. For Christians, it's typically on this day, Sunday, is observed as our Sabbath day. Now, I recognize that Sabbath-keeping can take many forms. Sunday uh, happens to be a work day for me, so I have the weekly endeavor of, of trying to figure out how Sabbath needs to take place for me and my family apart from Sunday. But let me ask the question, as you understand it, how are you doing today at Sabbath-keeping? How are you doing? Just this day where you are in your life, how are you doing? I think usually the answer for that is that it used to be much easier, right? It used to be much easier. It's unimaginable to my children that there was a time not so long ago in American history when grocery stores and gas stations were closed on Sunday in observance of the Sabbath. Many restaurants opted to close their doors for a day. Coaches wouldn't schedule practices or games on a Sunday. Families would clear their schedules and their calendars and commit to being together. This was not that long ago. I remember Sundays when I was a child so well. Worship at church together never was a question of whether we were going or not. At least I don't ever remember that. We would enjoy a great meal together, usually something that my mom had prepared ahead of time that she could just heat up and be ready to go. We'd find a couch to nap on or something quiet to do. No playing with friends until after 5 o'clock. Dinner was leftovers or English muffins, in my memory at least. Basically, my mom was off for dinner. There might have been a football or basketball game on the TV, but typically the preference instead was for a book or a magazine. Certainly no computers or video games. We were together, but we were quiet, we were relaxed, and I loved it. I might have complained about it. I'm sure I did. I'm, I'm sure I complained about being bored, but I know that deep down I loved it. It was deep security for me. We can hardly fathom such a thing, many of us today. I mean, we would be forsaking opportunities to get caught up. We'd be stealing our children's opportunity as, as star athletes someday. We'd be wasting good time that, that God has given to us to be productive. And anyways, our culture is never going back to that, right? Never going back to a time like that when, when businesses other than Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A are going to be closed on Sundays. We're swallowed up in a culture that doesn't know or care about Sabbath-keeping, and, and it often feels to us like it's, it's useless to even try and fight that current. The idea of a day set apart is so radical that we, we often can't even imagine how it would happen. But if you like the idea of Sabbath-keeping, if it resonates with you today, I have really good news that, that most people forget, and that is Sabbath was far more radical in ancient times and in the first century than it is right now. Far more radical. A weekly day of rest that God instituted for the Jews really doesn't have any parallel for any other ancient civilization. It was totally unique. In ancient times, leisure was only for wealthy people, the most wealthy of the ruling classes, never for the serving or laboring classes, which was the, the, the vast majority of the population. In addition, the very idea of rest each week was kind of unimaginable. 
I mean, the Greeks thought that Jews, we know this from, from, from various writings, the, the Greeks thought that Jews were lazy because they insisted on having a holiday every seventh day. So if it was radical back then, and God commanded it for a good reason in those ancient times, when there was no such thing as a weekend, by the way, who are we to think that this is too much for us to try and commit to? We can't avoid God's commandment to keep the Sabbath, nor can we avoid that we have indeed created our own busy lives that make the day of rest seem impossible. Any discussion of modern Sabbath, modern day Sabbath keeping would, would be truncated without recognition of our Jewish friends, in particular our more orthodox Jewish friends who observe the Sabbath better than any other group that I've seen. When I first visited Israel as an 18-year-old, I did something that I'm not sure I ever told my parents about. Uh, one of our evenings in Jerusalem, I was kind of wired at night. Uh, it was one of those things when you're traveling and you realize, I could probably sleep when I get home. There's too much going on here, right? And so I decided I didn't want to waste my surroundings, so I went walking into the old city of Jerusalem at midnight by myself. Uh, the Arab and Christian quarters of the, of the city, there was some commotion at the night hour, but the Jewish quarter was like totally vacant. Uh, none of the shops were open, no restaurants, no bazaars. It, it sort of felt like the apocalypse, and then I thought, this would be kind of an interesting place to be if the apocalypse happened. Um, but then I eventually did find some people. It was Friday evening, the first evening of Shabbat for Jews, and there were several hundred Jews, men, women, children, at the Western Wall, even at that hour of night, and it was lively. Uh, I put on a, a, a yarmulke, and, and I walked towards the wall. And this is a similar kind of thing to, to what, I, what I saw here. What I experienced is going to always be a reminder of what a Sabbath rest really actually is. We often think of it as like I'm going to go sleep for a while. But I saw joy, and I saw freedom and friendship. I saw rest, and I saw play and worship, and family, and food. There were old men and teenagers that were sitting around these little plastic tables reading the Torah, eating food together, and laughing. There were women and girls that were laughing and singing. There were men on their knees praying next to men, sitting back in their chairs and slowing down their lives, just resting. It was a beautiful thing to watch. And even though I was wearing a, a sweatshirt and jeans, I was welcomed into that space by several men who offered me food and drink and allowed me to join in prayer and worship. You see, for Jews, the, the emphasis of Sabbath still today is on two things. Just as every other day of creation dealt with dual interests, like heaven and earth and sky and land and plants and animals and man and woman, so the seventh day actually has two focuses as well. It's focused on rest and on delight. Rest and delight. It's a time to study Torah, to study God's word, to sing, to dance, to celebrate, and to reflect on the previous six days and, and all that God has provided for us and the work that he has given us to do. It's been said that when a Jew, keep, a Jew keeps the Sabbath, they are living not in the world's economy, but in God's economy, where the purpose is not production, but rather delighted playfulness. And so it is with us as well when we keep the Sabbath. So I want to challenge each of you to think about 
Sabbath keeping in your own life and in your family, not as the absence of something, but as a vital spiritual practice, primarily because this is how God created us to be. When Sabbath keeping disappears in our lives, we lose more than the gift of play and joy. Work and play are created to be in tandem with one another. Without the gift of work, play can become meaningless. And without play, work can become tedious. So the rhythm of work and play is what we are created for. God intended this to refresh all of his creation. In the words of the preacher Tim Keller, we can't possibly have a proper work theology if we do not have a proper rest theology. Ouch, right? Sabbath isn't going to be an easy practice for most of us. Our culture stands against us. We don't have a, a good Sabbath muscle to flex oftentimes. But we can't avoid God's desire for all of his creation to enjoy a Sabbath rest. So if you're seeking to follow God, if you take that seriously in your life, if you, if you really do desire to obey his commandments, if you want to live truly uh, into the human being that God created you to be, then I want to invite you, encourage you, and exhort you to take Sabbath keeping serious, seriously. A few years ago, I had essentially no Sabbath practices whatsoever, and it was the single biggest factor in, in what I uh, mentioned to some of you as brownout in my life. I think some of you resonate with that feeling. The, the lights were on for sure, like there were still things going on, but there just wasn't much juice behind what I was doing. I was on edge. I was in my head. I was, I was exhausted, but I was never really resting. And the church graciously offered me a, an opportunity for a sabbatical in 2016. And my charge was to rest, renew, and then return. That was, the, that was the charge for those eight weeks. Well, I have to tell you, it wasn't until the third week, 20-some days in to, uh, to this sabbatical where I was supposed to be resting and renewing and then returning, it, it took me 20-some days to actually have a Sabbath rest. Sometimes that's how backlogged we are. That's the kind of detox that we need to go through. Uh, I remember the day very well. I was sitting on the couch. I was in my pajamas. It was still 11 in the morning. I'd been there for three hours engrossed in a book that I was just really enjoying, and, and God was speaking to me through it. I put the book down because I felt like, you know what, I, I, gotta do, I just got to do something today. And then I thought about it, and I said, well, I'm not hungry I don't need to go to the bathroom, and nobody's asking anything of me right now, so I think I'm just going to stay here. And I did for another three hours. Uh, and that's when I realized in that moment that I was resting, because what did I do? I said, I'm in God's economy. I'm not in an economy of production that I'm used to. I'm in God's economy. I was taking joy in that book. I wasn't being defined by what I was accomplishing. I was experiencing God's love and grace and goodness, and I was delighting in it. Since my sabbatical, I've been much, much better about Sabbath keeping and, and trying to find Sabbath rest in each week. I never, ever get to read for six hours, okay? So, uh, but, but I know the feeling. I know the feeling of saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to fight the urge of being productive in the world's way today, and instead I'm going to rest in God. And I crave that feeling each and every week for, for some moments of rest. So what I do... Uh, just as an example, as I guard my day off, I set aside time from sundown Friday to sundown uh, on Saturday, just like our Jewish friends, to be with God, to be with my family, to be fully present in the here and now. 
I try and practice the light in those hours by enjoying my kids, uh, by eating great food, by uh, taking a nap on a couch if I can find it, reading, praying, getting outside. Does it always work perfectly? No. Sometimes our Sabbath can get chewed up, uh, but we try and cash it in later if that happens. My rest has reprioritized my work, and I'm so thankful for that. As Jesus himself said, the Sabbath was made for mankind, not mankind for the Sabbath. So let me ask again, what does Sabbath keeping look like in your life, in your family? Like I said, Sunday is a work day for me. So when, keeping, when I'm keeping Sabbath, well, it's Friday night to Saturday night. I don't see a need to be legalistic about that in my own life or, or in your life either, precisely when Sabbath happens. I just desire to see it happen in your life and in your family's lives. And I'll be honest and say that I think that this community in a unique way needs it more than most. I've observed over the years that many of you have lost the ability to have any kind of Sabbath practice, and that is not a place, my friend, where you want to stay. So I want to invite you to reestablish Sabbath keeping in your life. For most of you, Sundays right now, today is the ideal day for Sabbath because worship is actually built into your day. All you got to do is come to church. We're going to worship every single Sunday. But I want you to apply this to your situation. So here are some suggestions uh, for you as I close today from, from my own journey into, into Sabbath-keeping practices. First, put Sabbath on the calendar. Actually put it on the calendar, just like the most important meeting that you could be called into in a day or, or, or a day of class where attendance is taken. Just don't miss a Sabbath because you didn't put it on your calendar. Put it in there. If there are conflicts when you put that into the calendar, get rid of those conflicts. Those need to go away, not the Sabbath day. Fight for it. Contend for it. Make it a non-negotiable. Help your spouse, your kids, your grandkids to do the same. Welcome them into this process with you. Second thing is to unplug. We have a tray in our kitchen. Uh, it's right off the, the mudroom by the coffee maker. That's where I charge my phone. Once Sabbath day is on the calendar and it's arrived, I am using that tray at sundown on Friday for me. Phone goes on the tray. I definitely put it on, on do not disturb. Uh, if, if, uh, if, if I can, I turn it completely off. I tried my best not to check it. No email, text calls, no work. The temptation is just too strong if I've got the phone in my pocket or nearby. So maybe for you it's the phone or the laptop or the tablet or the briefcase, whatever it is, uh, find a tray in your house and put it there for the Sabbath day. You have to unplug or else I don't think we can intentionally cease from our work. And then third is to practice joy. Practice joy. Structure your Sabbath in such a way that you find joy. Read a book that gives you joy. Find a way for your family to laugh together. Eat great food. Gather around a piano or a guitar and, and sing and dance. Be out in God's creation. Embrace that time fully. It's God's gift to you. And it will lead you into worship. My last word on this is that to keep Sabbath is to embrace distinctiveness. Sabbath is such an amazing open door to share your faith and the good work that God is doing in your life with those around you. When you invite others into your Sabbath, it will bring them joy and draw them into Sabbath. When you tell someone, no, I can't make that practice because it's family Sabbath day today, there's going to be follow-up questions. And, and what a great opportunity to share your story and to speak well 
of the God who created you and loves you. So embrace your distinctiveness as God's child, as a Christ follower, and receive the rest that he has for you. This is what you were created for. I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. On this, our traditional Sabbath day, I've asked Ruth just to play through our closing hymn uh, one time. These beautiful words that uh, draw us into a, a, a Sabbath rest with God. There's a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. I've asked her to play through it once for us. I invite you to just close your eyes while she's playing and enjoy a little rest. If you find that your mind is wandering in any way, my friend Keith Baird here says, pretend like you've got a broom inside of your brain and you're sweeping away any thought so that the room is clean to just be in the presence of God.